welcome to the nerd party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads. Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no, to clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up, it's working. Time for a retro perspective. Hello and welcome to Retro Perspective, the Nerd Party's show in which we take a look at all of the movies released this week, 25 years ago. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we're going to be talking about January 21st, 1994. This was a week which only featured one new movie. I mean, just to kind of like put it into perspective, there's a lot of stuff that was still being watched from the previous year. I believe just kind of like looking at the box office numbers and everything like that, the last week, January 14th 1994 was when philadelphia went wide it was released probably limited towards the end of 93 in order to qualify for oscars so that tom hanks could get his oscar win or nomination or whatever it was and then it was released to the masses on january 14th and it continued its dominance this week it was number one with yeah. $8.8 million. And actually, right behind it, also at $8.8 million, was Mrs. Doubtfire, which had been out for a while. Oh, my gosh. Oh, geez, that's right. Yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire was a huge hit. Yeah, yeah, huge. But number three this week was the only movie actually legitimately released on January 21st, 1994, Intersection. Yeah, starring Richard Gere, Sharon Stone, Lolita Davidovich, Martin Landau, and uh, Captain Kirk's mother, Jennifer Morrison, at a very young age. Yeah, which credited as Jenny Morrison instead of Jennifer Morrison. It's always fun to watch uh, actors and actresses like change their name over time. Mm -hmm. Ronnie Howard became Ron Howard. Jenny Morrison becomes Jennifer Morrison. It's sort of like, you know, I guess it's sort of like when uh, Snoop Doggy Dog became Snoop Dog. It's almost, you know, it's like a rite of passage. I've, yeah. I've matured now, so I changed my name. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, this movie is interesting. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's on Amazon Prime in the States, at least, if you're in Canada. Apparently not. Sorry, Brandon. Yeah, sorry about that, Canada. But... Yeah, it's weird because I had never heard of this movie before. But you look at the talent. I mean, we just rattled off the the actors who are in it, and they're all pretty big names. And behind the camera, uh, the director was Mark Riddell, who I'm not really too familiar with. But like, it was written by Marshall Brickman, who wrote Annie Hall. It was photographed by Vilmos Zygmunt, who photographed Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Jersey Girl. And, you know, I mean, it it was a pretty stacked team. James Newton Howard did the music. I mean, it it was, there were a lot of people behind this. And like looking at the credits, it was based on a book. And it looked like there were numerous people who tried 
to crack the code on this thing before they actually made what was made. And you get to the finished product and you're kind of like, why was there so much (laughs) effort involved in this? But yeah, not to, you know, spoil things or anything. Um, You want to give us a little synopsis of this thing? Yes. uh, As a man is going through a car accident, time slows down and we experience flashbacks nested within flashbacks nested within flashbacks until we come back to that moment in time. And then we experience dream states that are sort of flashbacks while everybody else is dealing with the after effects of his accident. It kind of reminded me of For Love of the Game in some ways. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. Except for the car accident, which reminded me of Mission Impossible 2. (laughs) So it's starting strong out of the gate. Yeah. There you go. This this movie wishes it could be Mission Impossible 2. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's very much sort of like a... And not even like a relationship drama so much as a one man's introspective look at his life. His midlife, his midlife crisis yeah. is basically what we're taken through is... You know, I, I it's I, there were a, a glut of movies like this in the '90s that had to do with you know this virile man who's in his you know his 40s or 50s and wi- just women adore him and he just has so much trouble deciding between this boring beautiful wife that he has with a child and this thrilling beautiful woman that also wants to be with him and it's you know it's it's male fantasy for sure um and it's strangely passionless in its telling which is odd the the whole time i just kept on thinking like you know it's presenting this character like he's he's sort of at a crossroads and his life is is really you know kind of terrible because you know the, uh, just the, the all these things which are happening to him you know like yeah. oh he's in a passionless marriage and stuff like that and you know the whole time i kept on thinking like this guy is incredibly unlikable like yes he is making one dumb choice after another and mm-hmm since it's all told from his perspective, you can kind of like see that the way it's presented is almost like, oh, why don't these women treat me the way I want to be treated? What's wrong with them? You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, Like, I have it so hard because, you know, my wife doesn't show me the love that I want to be shown and... Yet uh, I but, yeah oh no I, I was just gonna say let's also be very careful to point out that and this is a hallmark of this genre it's not that love isn't shown so much as he's not given sex on demand and that's that too. really the big hurdle for him but even even that isn't true right. 
because is like also true. Yeah, there's okay. like this whole scene where they're at like a party with all of their friends and family and parents and everything, and they're upstairs, and he's like, "Quick, lock the door," and she's well, like, think- "Okay," and does, and then he's like, "Oh man, that wasn't as passionate as I wanted it to be." Yeah, but that was one of those flashbacks within a flashback to show that his wife used to be willing to. I don't do think that. so. Yeah, it was a yes because the the dialogue when they're at the dinner. First off, they they did a horrible job of coloring his hair, mm-hmm. but they um that I think that was supposed to be their their like uh, uh, wedding rehearsal dinner. That's the way I took it. No, because was... because they said something like, "Oh, you've been married for a year. How come you don't have kids yet?" Unless okay, unless that was so... inside the a flashback, inside the flashback, whatever. Or maybe you're right because they were like, "Oh, it's going so well." Right. So maybe right. you are right about that. And, and they've got and they've got like a 12 year old daughter who and, went on to be Captain Kirk's mom. At that so point, they still a... do. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, right. No, no, no. They, okay. they hadn't. Well, whatever. Yes. Yeah. That that sort of, but, but that that sort of speaks to the problem of the structure of like all the flashbacks within flashbacks. Is it's like, wait, what time is this happening again? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But even like with that, like no, I mean, I, I don't think that that was supposed to show like the good times because, you know, that the way that whole scene is played is, you know, she's like, "Don't touch my dress," because you'll get fingerprints on it or something like that and then you know she's like okay that that was great i I gotta go and then she runs out and he's like sitting there like god that was not what i was looking for and it's like well you know what dude uh you're 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 upstairs at a party in the pool room yeah exactly maybe just maybe you got to deal with disappointment in your life every so often yeah yeah you know uh, I, I don't know. Like the whole time, I just kept on thinking, he's like, my life sucks so much. Wah, wah. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know what? This is all your fault. You know, this is 100% your fault. And then there's the whole thing with the car crash and everything like that. And yeah. then I'm just like, well, this is super melodramatic, you know? Yeah, and uh, never mind the fact that it's not actually the crash does not actually occur at an intersection, so the title mm. means nothing. Yeah, I mean, yes, I know it's an intersection of his life, but you're supposed to have sort of that, right? Uh, you know, ironic overlay, like, sort like of goodwill thing. hunting, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But it's, I think you hit the nail on the head that he's unlikable. I just question whether it's. A combination of things, whether it's that the script doesn't really come together and present a likable guy or whether Gear's performance doesn't do any favors for it. No, you know, I I mean, I think that he's fine. I I think Richard Gear is a really good actor. You know, actually, I agree. Lots of times picks really bad movies, but I don't think there's anything wrong with his performance. I don't think there's anything that he could do because it's all on the page. You know, but I sincerely believe that, like, the writers of this movie were like, you know, I feel bad for this guy because he's got it tough, you know? (laughs) He's got to choose between Lolita Davidovich and Sharon Stone. He's a a wildly successful architect. Yeah, yeah, you know, all that stuff. But he doesn't want to build a house with this woman because... 
he might still be in love with his wife who doesn't love him and and then there's the whole thing where he's like all like super pouty because his ex-wife is dating some guy yeah and it's like uh but do you, re- you remember the part where you're building a house for <laughs> you know the woman yeah. who you left your wife for so uh maybe yeah. uh, get off your high horse there for a minute <laughs> Do a little introspection at the intersection. That would be helpful. There you go. That would be helpful. There you go. I don't know. I, uh, I, I, it's what's so weird about it is it's a decent enough movie that, like, I wasn't, it didn't garner a reaction of, oh, I, I hated this. This was terrible. But it didn't garner a positive reaction. In all honesty, it's, something where i i don't know what would possibly qualify it as memorable in any way and the the shame that i think is there is that i think that davidovich and stone do a good job with their roles i think that they're high points to the film and i think that stone actually really does a good job of communicating you know, a woman going through a divorce who's, you know, been hurt and trying to bounce back and is in the unenviable situation of being, you know, co-owner of the firm that her ex-husband run. You know, like, right. uh, you know, that's that's pretty terrible. I think she does a really good job of giving a nuanced performance as far as that goes. And I think that it's just, it's misplaced in a movie that doesn't deserve it. Yeah. I these types of movies were very prevalent in this time period. And and I was kind of looking forward to it in that regard because there's a lot of them out there which are good. And when I did see like all the talent involved behind the scenes, I, I got like really kind of excited about this movie. But just as it progressed, I was just like, God, Like, I can't, I I don't see what the point of this is. I can't relate to this. And it really does sort of feel like, like, like this thing that was going on in, in Hollywood at the time, which is just, you know, like an industry run by a bunch of guys who are really, really entitled and who think that, uh, you know, they, they, they deserve all this stuff. And when they don't get it, um, they, you know, life, life is really hard for them, you know? Yeah. I, I, they, yeah, they get pouty, they throw fits, they, they use emotional uh, blackmail, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. But there's also the resolution of the movie is that it's okay. They both thought he loved them. <laughs> That's yeah. a, terrible moral Mm -hmm. that's really awful that these two oh well it's okay he put them through hell but they both think he loved them yeah oh all right like i would have liked to see even more anger from sharon stone or like there's just it's such hero worship that goes on with this and it's just it's nuts and you know of course the only guy that speaks you know, uh, uh, honestly to him earlier on is, is Martin Landau telling him to get back together with Sharon Stone. But even that dialogue is not great. 
it really sounds more like uh, just an old guy scolding someone as opposed to somebody giving actual life advice, which is what would have worked better in that scene of, you know, Landau actually communicating to him instead of keep everything under one roof. Yeah. What does that even mean? What are you talking about? Yeah, well, I forgot about that whole thing where Martin Landau and Richard Gere go to meet the clients who they're building this building for. And the yeah. clients are like, we need to make some changes. And he starts like yelling at them and stuff. And it's like, what's, I mean, you know, Landau calls him out on it, but it's like, oh, God, he's also a struggling artist, you know? You know, but not even an artist. I mean, the thing is, what's funny is is you you rightly call out, like, you know, the thing that was going on in Hollywood at the time. You can see a reflection of what film directors were you know, quote unquote, known for at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting my way. I'm going to throw a fit and I'm going to storm off the set and I'm going to. So there is so much projection going on in this movie. It's odd. I guess, I guess if you were to do a, uh, an early 1994 double feature, you'd have a dangerous game and then intersection would be your, your double feature for this is, the psychological tell of what was going on behind the scenes for everybody. Yeah, and it's both about, both of them are about guys who are cheating on their wives. And, uh, I mean, I should we get into some a few little spoilers for Dangerous Games since people probably aren't going to be seeing it since you have to get it on, a, like, physical media in order to see it? I think it's okay to spoil Dangerous Game at this point. Like, there's this whole thing where, like, this is so ridiculous. I'm like the the whole movie is like he's you know he's married with a kid and basically while he's off on his movie sets he has numerous affairs with you know various women. The only person who you see him have an affair with is Madonna, but whatever. It's like eating at him. It's gnawing at him. That's his his whole like that's his moral dilemma, right? And finally, he decides to come clean, right? Not because he feels bad for his wife, but because he can't live with the lie anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. So he decides to fly back to New York and tell his wife that not only has he slept with Madonna, but this is something which he's, which has been going on for years and years and years with countless women, right? And he just yeah. unloads all of this. On the day of her father's funeral. That doesn't seem ill-timed. <laughs> and then she calls him out on it, and then that's basically the end of the movie. But it's like, anyway, there are... It, Lots of parallels. Now, anyway, yeah, and, and the 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 thing that sucks is, and the thing is, there are plenty of movies that have dealt with this sort of thing, and the fact that you know real people get in, you know, get in situations, they get out of control. You know, there are a whole bunch of layers that can go on in people's relationships that are interesting to explore, but this is not that. It sounds like Dangerous Game is not that, but Intersection is not that either because this isn't a nuanced exploration of how relationships can erode over time, 
and people can, uh, you know, honestly make mistakes and, and, you know, they can either redeem themselves or they can move forward. This is literally just a story about a guy who's so awesome. He, he can't handle it. His cup overflows yeah. and his great crisis of the heart is how on earth am I going to manage all of this that I have? Yeah. That's well, a tough life, man. I mean, a, a movie which does deal with that stuff. I mean, it's not like the the primary focus of the movie, but it's a movie which I kept on thinking about while watching this as another Richard Gere movie uh, from, I guess, you know, s- similar time period. And that's uh, Dr. T and the Women. Have you seen this? Never seen it. Never seen it, no. So good. Robert Altman, in my mind, one of his best movies. A lot of people sort of dismiss it. I think it's amazing. Richard Gere plays a guy who's a gynecologist. And he is basically the only, I mean, for all practical purposes, the only male character in the movie. Everyone else in his life is um, a woman and it's kind of about how he has all of these different relationships with different people, whether it's his co-workers or whether it's his wife or his daughters or whoever. And he's just kind of like surrounded by all of these women. And, you know, there, there is like a, a, a thing which is kind of dealt with in terms of like uh, infidelity, um, but it's much more nuanced in that, you know, it's something which is kind of like it, it, it happens out of like grief in a sense, you know, and, and it's, it, I, I mean, it's just, it's a much better movie. Let's just say that it's, it's okay. really, really funny and it's uh, thought provoking. And I mean, gear is great. And so is everyone else in it. I highly, highly, highly recommend Dr. T and the Women. It is uh, classic Altman as far as I'm concerned. I highly recommend it. That sounds great. It really does. I mean, I haven't seen Dr. T and the Women, but I think contemporaneous to this, a couple of years on either side, uh, Primal Fear came out. That was another Richard Gere movie. Yeah, which I've never seen. Uh, Oh, I saw that in the movie theater with my brother. Yeah. Um, and we were both surprised by it because it featured an actor we weren't familiar with by the name of Ed Norton. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we were surprised by it. We were like, oh, wow, that's that was actually pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, I, I heard, like, yeah. the casting director of that movie talk about how, like, they're like, this is such a a hard role to cast. They had looked at hundreds and hundreds of people and they were like, there's nobody in Hollywood who can do this. And then, you know, this stage actor comes in and blows him away. And then that was it. Yeah. uh, And he's actually uh, related. I don't know whether he's like grandson or something like that, but there's a uh, town. I'm sure it's bordering on city now in in Maryland, um, Howard County called Columbia, Maryland. And uh, Ed Norton's from the family. I think it was his grandfather basically zoned and planned out that entire area. Oh, wow. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. I, it's some, it's something like that. But yeah, he uh, he came from a, a line of people that had an impact on uh, on the great state of Maryland. Interesting. At least that part of it. 
Interesting. Yeah. 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 Sooner or later, I'll check that movie out. I've heard nothing but good things. But, yeah. Worth checking out. Uh, I do think it's funny that Intersection isn't available on Amazon Prime in Canada, considering the whole thing, without being specifically stated, obviously takes place in Canada, because all of the signage is Canada. They're in Vancouver. And it, it and it's odd, because it, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's a thing where I'm very accustomed to at least a line or two of dialogue establishing what town we're in, what state, what city, whatever that we're in, and nobody says where they are. And I don't, that's not like a mark against the movie, but, or did I just miss that? No, I mean, I didn't notice anything, but I have noticed movies do that. I think sometimes it's done intentionally, like, you know, seven. You know, the mm, idea is right. supposed to take yeah. place in the worst city, and they never name the city. But, you know, the one that always stands out to me, I think, just because it was shot in Chicago, so you see all of these sort of, like, Chicago landmarks to people who would know the city, but it, it it's avoids, like, things like the Sears Tower or whatever, is Stranger Than Fiction. The uh, Oh, love that movie. Yeah, with Will Ferrell. Yeah, I love that movie. I think it's I think it's delightful. Yeah, shot in Chicago, takes advantage of everything that Chicago has to offer, and yet completely avoids anything that says Chicago. And I can't figure out why. Like, if you're going to go through the trouble and the expense of shooting in Chicago, why would you try to hide that it's Chicago? That, that always just... I could come I could probably come up with some sort of bizarre reasoning, but it would just be an attempt at bizarre reasoning. Yeah. Like specifically with Stranger Than Fiction, I could see where it could conceivably have to do with the structure of those characters' lives. Yeah. But you know, that's just it would just be conjecture. Like I could so. see it happening like a movie shooting in Toronto or or like, you know, in the case of this where they shot in Vancouver because that's where people go to shoot movies because it's cheap, right? Yeah. But you don't necessarily want it to specifically take place in Vancouver and so you just don't say where it is. But yeah. Yeah, it's well, weird nonetheless. Road signs and meters definitely indicated it wasn't America. Yeah. Yeah. Um but uh you know one one thing you mentioned the the soundtracks done by James Newton Howard, whose work I typically thoroughly enjoy, but the voice of this score does not seem to match this film. Yeah, and I don't know if that contributes to some of the problem of the tone, but at no point did I feel like this music was communicating or helping to communicate something I might have been missing in the performance or the script. It wasn't pushing things over the edge, and I'm very unaccustomed to that with a James Newton Howard score. It's interesting because it seems like at some point along the way his career took a turn. You know, like if you look at the stuff that he was doing early on, it was stuff like Wild Cats or Major League, you know? Things like that, a pretty woman. And then, you know, later on, of course, we get, you know, 
Batman Begins and Unbreakable and, you know, even The Fugitive and all this stuff, it seems like, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm guessing that, that the the people who do things like romantic comedies probably aren't held in as high esteem as people who do, like, the big action movies. And, yeah. you know, he somehow or another graduated to that later on in, in his career, you know? Yeah, and he's he's made some incredible scores that I, that I absolutely love. Yeah. Uh, this was not one of them. No, I would agree. No. I would agree. So, okay. So we're, we're in agreement that Intersection, not good? Uh, you know, I actually wind up... A, a, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know why, but I, I was trying to give it as many breaks as possible. But as we've sat here talking through it, yeah. No, this isn't really that good, no. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I agree. I'd say it's probably the worst of the three movies that I've watched so far. Um, no, Cabin Boy still still captures that title for me. Yeah, I was looking at because I was just trying to figure out, you know, looking at the box office numbers or whatever. Cabin Boy, because I, I was looking at the, the the numbers for the twenty first, and I'm like, I don't see Cabin Boy on here. <laughs> and I looked, yep. and when it opened up on January seventh, it was number thirteen at the box office. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Um, but hey, next week we've got three movies. Three yes. movies released. Three movies. Yeah. Uh, there's a Wednesday opening again. A lot of those. Uh, Blink on January 26th. And then on January 28th, we have two movies Car 54, Where Are You? Mm. And Golden Gate. All right. I'm horribly tempted to go with car 54 where are you i'll decide in the margins but uh that was wow that that was definitely in the midst of that 1950s tv show resuscitation phase that we were going through that begat things like the beverly hillbillies um which wasn't great yeah or even naked gun right i mean well naked gun is a classic but it was still Naked Gun. It's still a TV show thing, right? Yeah, but that was like a cult '70s show. Car Fifty Four, Where Are You, is part of the the Beverly Hillbillies and uh, McHale's Navy crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I might catch that just out of curiosity, but okay, maybe one of those other titles will pull me away. Well, I definitely know which one I'm I'm going to go with, and and I'm actually pretty excited about it and looking forward to it. So. Car 54, where are you? Great. We shall see. Perfect. We shall see. Yeah. <laughs> and and just looking at things, you can see that now that we are getting away from the Oscar season, there's going to be a lot more choices almost every week. You know, I think there's only one other week this year where there's only one movie to choose from. So, yeah. Sometime in May, if I if my guess is correct. Um, I believe it's April, actually. Oh, April. Yeah. Oh, oh, well. Close, though. Swing and a miss. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, um, until next week, John, where can uh, people find you on the internet? Oh, just look for me as Kessel Junkie on uh, your social network of choice. Uh, Hang out on Twitter, Letterboxd, Goodreads. 
And uh, here on the Nerd Party Network, you can hear me co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing. It's a Star Wars show of a different sort. And uh, Mike, where can people find you? Uh, You can find me on my website, filmdamagepod.com, doing a show called Film Damage, where we take a look at movies from the perspective of the booth. And uh, hopefully we'll have a a, a review of, of Glass up there at some point in the near future. And you can also find me on Trek.fm doing Tracks from the Edge, where we provide audio commentaries for every episode of Star Trek Discovery, which is uh, starting up this week. And, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, what what bit of advice do we want to give them on the way out the door, as usual, Mike? I, I guess I would say be kind, rewind. Rewind.